So I want to welcome you to our new series, and if you look at the top left-hand corner of your listening guide, you have four dashes, four blanks, a dash, and two more. And on that left side, I want you to put um, the, the year that you were born. Now, you may want to carefully shield this from those around you if you're like Jeff Gillis and you were born hundreds of years ago, and you don't want to cause, you know, this ripple effect in, in our worship center. But uh, put the year that you were born, then there's a dash, and then on the right side, you're going to put two two zero and you're going to leave the last two uh, blanks empty, right? Okay, so to help you out, just to, I, I've put mine up on the screen. Here's mine. I was born in 1999. No one believes that I'm only 20 years old. Add another 35 years to that. I'm, I'll be 55 in just a couple of weeks. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. Uh, each of us has a day we were born and we, were ce- we celebrate that day. What do we call it? Our birthday. Anybody's birthday today? No, anybody in August? Oh, wait, we got somebody back there? Yes, we got somebody's birthday today. Anybody in August? I'm in August. I'll be double nickels. You know, you're getting old when, you're, when your age is a speed limit on a highway somewhere, you know. Uh, 55, all right. That's what it was when I was growing up. When I was a teenager, it was actually 55. But anyway, we celebrate the day that you were born. Um, we mark that day, celebrate it. Every one of us has that date, but we also have a date that we're going to end, uh, leave this world, and we, we're going to leave that blank. Because, I, I got to ask you this, when, before you entered the world, did anyone show up with a microphone and say, hey, are you ready to come out of your mother's womb? Are you ready to make your big entrance? No. And no one, if the Bible is true, no one in the next life is going to ask you if you're ready to leave this life to go into the next life either. But between that first day and that last day, whenever that is, what is, what is this little thing right here? That's a dash. What does it represent? It represents your life. If you go to a, a cemetery, what is the one thing that every headstone has in common? It has one of those, and it represents their life. So all of our living, our loving, our growing, all of our challenges, all of our accomplishments, all of our efforts, all of our friendships need to be crammed into that little bitty dash. And even though it's incredibly small, it's the one part of our lives that we mostly have control over, whether it proves to be a blessing to this world or not. So I need to ask you, since it's mostly up to us, that little dash, I need to ask you this question. What are you doing with your dash? Or what are you going to do with your dash? We all get one, but we only get one. So what are you doing with it? Wise people have reflected on the speed of life for a long time. How many of you know that life is flying by? If you're a parent, you know life is flying by. I saw a a guy who's like, I don't remember, seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. I hadn't seen him in like six months, and he grew six inches. You know, before I was looking down, and then I saw him after about six months, and I'm looking up, and I said, holy cow, where did the time go? Anyone agree that time flies by? The speed of life is what caused the psalmist to say this to God. Teach us to number our days. So I want you to repeat the last part of that. Teach us to what? Teach us to what? Pay attention because you only get a finite number of them. Your days are expiring. Look what he says. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So my question to you today is, have you numbered your days? Are you paying attention to how many you have? How many of you still use a physical calendar? You carry around like a daytime or something like that. Anyone? I used to carry this very one. It is a weapon. 
Um, when we would go on trips, all of our boarding passes, all of our, our hotel reservations, everything was in here. And this one actually is dated uh, January, well, 2016. So when I look through this, I've been using my iPad calendar since then, but when I look through this, man, I did a lot of stuff in 2016, right? You did a lot of stuff in 2018. You may have done a lot of stuff up until this point in 2019, how many of you have already bought a calendar if you do the daytimer thing for 2020? That's coming up, right? I would usually buy mine around October uh, for the next year. Well, let me ask you, we've got, a, we've got January 2020 up on the screen. What is the primary difference between January 2020 and let's say your 2018 calendar? What's the difference? Lots of blanks, lots of wide open spaces. This is a good thing. 2020 has lots of wide open spaces, but they're already numbered. Do you notice that? Not only by the calendar maker, but by your heavenly father, your creator, your maker. Um, there's empty boxes, which means there's no painful experiences to mess them up, but there's also no great joys to celebrate. There's no mistakes that you, you are uh, regretting, but there's no successes either. I have 365 days, you have 365 days to either live wisely or to live unwisely to make a, an impact or not make an impact. The choice is mine, the choice is yours. We can squander them or we can do what God wants us to do. And when I look at this calendar, I think, will I number my days aright? Will you number your days aright? What will I do with 2020 if I even make it there? There's no guarantee that you're going to make it there. We were driving the other day, and, and an 18-wheeler actually physically ran us off the road. I'm honking, and by the grace of God, I saw him. I'm honking, and, and, and I'm, I'm praising God. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling not to get really angry. And uh, Anyway, you don't know when your last day is going to be, so you better number your days. Now, since we don't know about 2020, and, and speaking of, you know, we may not make it there, I want to ask you something. I'll ask you a couple of questions. Number one, what is the most dangerous object in your home? Yourself. Okay, I like that one. Someone in the early service said knives. Knives is very high on the list. 460,000 people last year injured themselves with kitchen knives, power saws. 100,000 injuries every year with a power saw. Some of you should never even look at it, much less plug it in and try to pull the trigger. I read drapery cords. Now, this wasn't on the top 10, but 20 people injure themselves every year on a drapery cord, on a curtain cord. And then this one blows my mind. 4,000 people, not just injure, seriously injure themselves on pillows every year. They don't tell us how. I don't know if it's a massive pillow fight. I don't know if there's bricks. I don't know, but it says 4,000 dipsticks. It doesn't say dipsticks. <clears throat> now, we could debate what is the most dangerous object in your house, but I'm going to show you what I think it is. It's right here. Does anybody know what this is? This is a legit lazy boy. This is my lazy boy. And I can't tell you how many times when I'm sitting in this that I am the embodiment of the name. I am a lazy boy. And y'all see, y'all see the tags are still on here. I've had this thing about five years. And it started off, I just was leaving the tag on there, and then it became a joke. And so it is still there five years later. Um, Hannah Strain, Caleb's um, fiance, said, is this a new one? I'm like, no, 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 it's just, it's just I'm a dork. Um, and I left it on there. My kids are laughing when we, when we put it in the truck, even last night, to bring it up here. Uh, no one buys a chair like this to motivate us to exercise, do they? 
No one buys a chair like this so you can be more productive at the computer, right? Why do you buy a chair like this? One reason, comfort. Now, I need a volunteer, but don't you think for a second, if you were here last week for the family service, don't you think for a second you're getting 50 bucks, right? Being my volunteer and experiencing my lazy boy is your reward, but it will be the easiest volunteer job in the history of volunteer jobs. All right, I think I saw Aiden. He raised his hand first. Come on, Aiden. Come on up here, bud. Now, come on, come on, come on, come on. Hurry up to comfort. Sit down and just, just enjoy yourself. That's nice, right? Almost couldn't get Thatcher out of there. Rachel had to get in there every three-second band rehearsal this morning. We told her she should sing for that, but then we thought, no, that wasn't a good idea. Now, I've got some other things as you're enjoying comfort. I've got some others. Please remove your shoes. Not sure these are going to work on those skis, but all right, put them up here. Close enough. I've got some slippers because I, I want you to experience maximum comfort. I've got some other things in here. So uh, there's this magical lever right there on the right side. Pull that, if you would, and go all the way back. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I've got a blankie, a nice, comfortable blankie. I've got a pillow. You can use this pillow however you see fit. And, and, and you, can't be, you can't have comfort without comfort food. So I've got some Little Debbie's pies. I've got some Twinkies. I've got some, uh, some powdered donuts, right? This is good. And, and I can't do the comfort food without comfort liquid. Comfort liquid for me is the three different types of milk, white, chocolate, and strawberry. So which one do you want? You want white. You are boring. Anyway. <laughs> they did that in the first service too. Now, now it's a little bright. Can you, can you dim the lights a little bit? Now, if you have a chair like this in your house, what is the one thing the person has to have in their hand if they're in this chair? Remote control. I've got a remote. Now, we just, need, we just need some soothing music to really set the tone. You can almost hear it. All right, we'll pretend. Y'all can hum. Now, shh. Oh, there it is. There it is. Glorious. Is this a picture of someone who's ready to do something for the kingdom of God? If he was married, or let's say mom. Mom says, hey, Aiden, take out the trash. What is his first? If you're a dude and you're sitting in the chair and your wife says, hey, baby, would you help me take out the trash? You go, ugh. If you're smart, you don't do that out loud. It's just all in your head, right? Because this is not worth it. It is difficult to get out of the chair and do something because you're so doggone comfortable. Now, what if, what if God said, hey, buddy, I want you to storm the gates of hell. Is he ready? What if God calls this person to go on a mission trip to Belize? What if God says, there's a needy person down the road. I need you to go meet their needs. Is he ready? Is he ready to spring into action? The only thing he's ready to spring into is a nap. And by the way, how many of you think he's going to make it all the way through the rest of my message without falling asleep? For that reason, you got to go. Get up. We ain't having that. Take all this comfort back. Now, the danger, the danger of this chair is not so much 
what you do while you're in the chair. What's the danger? It's what you don't do. It's hearing God's voice. You miss that. If God were to ask you to do something difficult for the kingdom of God, and you're sitting in the comfort chair, how likely are you to respond? Not very. If your life is devoted to this comfort, you're going to miss out on the life that God has for you. You're going to miss the relationships that never deepen. People in need, you'll never even see them. The great, desperate, urgent prayers you never pray because you're too comfortable. It's the races that you never run, the battles you were made to fight that you never fight, the laughter you don't laugh, it's the tears that you never weep. It's the great adventure of a life following God that you never experience because you're too comfortable. You were made for more than that, than life in this chair. You were made for an adventure. And it's my desire that you experience that. That's why this might be the most dangerous chair in your house or the most dangerous object. Not because of what you do, but because of what you don't do. Now, I'm not saying that we should jump out of a plane without a parachute. I'm not saying you should hop in a barrel and go over Niagara Falls, you know, yay, Jesus, whatever. But I'm also not saying that you should work until you die of exhaustion. That's actually next week. Life's too short to work all the time. What I'm saying is I want us to approach life. Numbering our days means to say to God, I have 24 hours in this day. What do you want me to do for your glory? Now, if we're going to experience the life that God has for us, we need to understand there's a way that God interacts with us. There's six things I've got on your listening guide. The number one that thing, thing that God does when he interacts with us is he interrupts our lives. God always interrupts your life. In 2002, God interrupted my life and said, start New Life Community Church, June 22nd, 2002. That was not a comfortable thing to do. 2010, an earthquake hit Haiti, and God says, I'm going to interrupt your life, and you're going to go to Haiti. And I've been to Haiti 10 times since 2010. 2018, I thought I was going back for my 11th trip to Haiti. And God interrupted my life and said, you're going to go to Belize instead. God will interrupt your life. Second thing he will do is he will invite you to join him. We get this so backwards. We take our calendars and we fill in all of the details. And then we say, God, bless this. We might even come to the altar. God, bless this. And then we get mad when God doesn't bless our plans. And God says, I don't work that way. I'm in charge. I bless those who change their lives to follow me. He blesses people who obey. Blessing always follows obedience. God says, I don't work that way. Can you think of any instance in the Bible when God said something like this to people? I've got an assignment for you. It requires no commitment and very little time. Anyone heard that Bible story in Sunday school? (laughs) No, God's assignments are always bigger than your assignments. They're always harder than your assignments. And they're always more fulfilling when you accomplish them in his power. All you have to do is think about Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the Hall of Fame of the Faithful. So just think about this. Uh, And I, I challenge you to go read Hebrews 11 sometime today when you're at home. God comes to Noah and he says, I want you to build an ark. What's an ark? He'd never seen one. It's this big boat. What's a boat? He'd never seen a boat. God says, I want you to build this ark and I'm gonna start the human race over through you. I'm gonna destroy everybody else. God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave everything that's familiar, this house that you live in now, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. Oh, well, which road do I take? I'll show you. Which country are we going to? I'll show you. Where am I going to live? I'll show you. You just follow me. 
God comes to Joseph and he says, Joseph, I'm going to make you the ruler over your mother, your father, and all of your siblings. And Joseph's like, yes, let's do it. And then he starts following God. And the next thing he knows, his brothers throw him into a pit. They sell him into slavery. He's bought by a slave owner. And then the slave owner's wife accuses him of raping her. He goes to prison for a, a, a crime he doesn't commit. And the Bible says over and over, God was with him in the pit. God was with him in slavery. God was with him in prison. God was with him when he raised him up years, years later. And his brothers are, are kneeling before him. I think he remembered, God was with me. But God didn't tell him all those other details. He said, follow me. He comes to Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to leave this life. So Moses has been away from Egypt for probably close to 60 years by this time. And remember, he killed a man in Egypt, and he never stood trial for that. He runs away. 60 years later, he's been tending sheep for 60 years. He's got a wife. He's got children. He's got it easy. He's in the comfort chair, the lazy boy. And God says, I want you to go back to that country where you killed a man where you've never stood trial, and I want you to defy Pharaoh to his face and say, let my people go. So God offers this invitation. He says, get out of your lazy boy, get out of your lazy girl, and let's do something. He doesn't spend one single second trying to figure out how to make your life more comfortable. That's not on God's agenda. So he, he interrupts, he invites, number three, we respond now, after God gives somebody one of these assignments, how many times do you think they go, what a great opportunity. I would love to go back to the country where I murdered somebody and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. I would love to jump into a lion's den. I would love to walk into a fiery furnace. If you're the apostle Paul, you, I would love to go through shipwrecks. I'd love to be beaten. I'd love to be thrown in prison. I would love to do that. What a great, yes, Lord, let's sign up for this stuff. No, that's not how they respond. They respond, every one of us, when God invites us, we respond with fear and a couple of kinds of fear. Number one, fear of inadequacy. God comes to Gideon in the book of Judges, chapter six. God comes to Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you. What are these next two words? What kind of warrior? Okay, help me out. The Lord is with you. What kind of warrior? Mighty warrior. And, and what's funny is, it's God himself speaking to Gideon, and he calls him mighty warrior, and he says, the Lord is with you. And Gideon goes, um, point of order, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this bad stuff happened to my nation? He doesn't even know he's talking to God yet. And look how he responds. This is how Gideon responds. But Lord, wait, 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 I got to do this in a whiny Imagine your kids when, they, when they're whiny and it just grates on your nerves and in the name of Jesus, you just like to spank their butts. Okay, this is, this is the voice. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I'm the least of my family. Now, I don't know if, if Gideon said that, but I imagine him talking like that because he goes you want me to do what no way I can't do it God's like yes I know you can't do it I don't want you to do it I want to do it through you there's this when God invites you there is this immediate fear of I can't do this second fear is fear of failure 
And it's related very much to that first one. Remember when Moses sent the 12 spies to spy out the promised land? They're gone for 40 days, and they come back, and they bring some of the fruit. And they, 10 of the spies, they said, man, this land is awesome. We've never seen anything like it. By the way, I've been to Israel once. I want to go back. When I saw Israel, when I first saw it, I said, this is the most incredible, spectacular land I've ever seen. I've told you this before. Some of the fruits and vegetables looked looked comic-like because they were so big. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. They said, it's a great land, but... But the people are much bigger than we are, and the cities are fortified. We can't do it. We will lose. So they, they said, we're going to lose, fear of failure. And they, we can't do it. God didn't want them to do it. And so then with this fear mindset, you know what they wanted to do? Let's go back to Egypt to slavery. That's what fear always tempts you to do. Let's go back to what's comfortable, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, Whatever it is, when you're afraid of what God calls you to do, you always go back to the land of Egypt. <laughs> if you ever have to make a choice for comfort or trying something risky for God, be very, pay very close attention because it may be that God is calling you to do something. And that's all right. That's Shay back there. She's having a great time, and she's one of my friends. So the more she, the more she talks, the more I like it. God may be inviting you to do something that you can't do, so pay attention. Now, let's take it a step further. If, if you are not experiencing some type of thing in your life where you're scared to death to try it for the kingdom of God, that's a huge indication that you've spent way too much time in the chair. You're lazy in the kingdom of God, and you're going to miss what God has for you. <laughs> what, it, what is it in your heart that God causes your heart to beat a little faster. Every year I mention Belize. We're going back to Belize next year. And, and we were able to help them put up the walls of this church in San Lazaro. We're, we're already on the calendar, already uh, set it up with Praying Pelican. We're going back next year. I think it's July 11th next year. And some of you immediately when I say that, your heart begins to beat. You're like, I would love to go to Belize. But then either you get too comfortable or you get scared, oh, well, I can't pay for that. I can't get time off. I can't, I can't, I can't, I, I'm Gideon. There are legitimate reasons for you not to go to Belize next year. Years ago, we had a guy that from the very first moment I said we were going to Haiti in 2010, he said, I'm going to Haiti. It was three years before he got there because life now, it, it, he had legitimate reasons. One of them was he was, he was in uh, a police academy and couldn't go. Another time, his wife was pregnant and needed to be here when she was going to have the baby. And then finally, the third year, he got to go with us because the very first year, God moved in his heart, you need to go. And he said yes, but it was three years later before he got to go. Some of you need to go to Belize next year, but you're too comfortable or you're too afraid, and you're going to miss out what God has for you. Some of you are called to work in the landing. The landing is Celebrate Recovery for Teenagers. And it starts up in just a couple of weeks. Not this Tuesday, but a, a week from Tuesday, we have boot camp for the landing. And some of you need to be coming and, and sharing in that ministry. Um, but, but you're not going to come on a Tuesday night because that would be too much time and you'd miss the bachelorette. I don't even know when the bachelorette comes on. I just know that that's a big thing. I can't stand watching that stuff. But anyway, I'm not judging much. 
Our youth ministry this Wednesday night, we're going to have a, a meeting. So we are having youth group this Wednesday night and out here in the living room at 630. Anybody who's interested in the direction of our youth ministry, if you want to help, if you just want to know what's going on, 630, be out here. We're going to talk to you about the next few weeks. We're going to pray about where God's leading us. We need a youth minister. And, and we're praying that God leads us to the right person. I've actually said my prayer is that God will send someone called to work with, to, with youth who will equip them to be fully devoted followers of Christ so that when they leave here, they graduate and go to college, they don't fall away from Christ. They're a light shining bright for Christ. That's what I desire to see in our youth ministry. Homeless outreach, I don't know. I began in youth ministry because I didn't want teenagers to suffer through what I had in youth ministry. I grew up at First Baptist Borger, Texas, and my 7th grade through 12th grade year, most of the time, we had nobody working in the youth ministry, even though we were by far the largest church in Borger, Texas. It's about the same size as Palestine. There were, there were over 500 people that came to our church service every Sunday morning, and nobody worked with the youth, and our youth ministry sucked. And so when I had an opportunity to work with teenagers, I said, by the grace of God, any teenagers in my youth ministry will not suffer through what I went through. I will raise them up to follow after Christ. You know, the only reason we have the landing is because Brandy Lovelady decided that teenagers in, in Anderson County needed a place to go to, to recover from their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. And the crazy thing is about Brandy, she used to come to our church. She had some issues, fell away. She came back to our church. She came back to celebrate recovery. And as God healed her from her hurts, habits, and hang-ups, she said, teenagers need a place for this. And that's why it started. Do you know that Celebrate Recovery started in 2005 because Jeff Gillis said, I'm hurting, I need a place to recover, and I want people in Anderson County to have a place to recover? That's how ministries get started is God speaks to you. You get out of the comfort, the lazy boy, the lazy girl, and you do something that matters. <laughs> I've never known anybody who has a deep, lasting faith in Christ who spent most of their time avoiding the challenges of God and, and they spend most of their time in their, in their lazy boy. In fact, I've never heard anybody on their deathbed, and I've seen a lot of people die. I've been there. When people have died, nobody's ever said, man, I wish I had one more day in the lazy boy. God interrupts, he invites, people respond with fear. Notice what happens next. God makes a promise. God never reacts with, oh, you're scared? It's okay, I'll go to somebody else. Mm -mm. Go back to this story about Gideon. Gideon, God says, the Lord is with you. What kind of warrior? Mighty warrior. Are you kidding me? Gideon's hiding in a wine press threshing wheat. The reason he's in a wine press is because he's afraid the bullies will steal his lunch. I'm not making this up. Go read the story, Judges chapter 6. The Midianites would come and they would steal all the food. So he's like, oh, I got a great idea. I'll go to the wine press because nobody would think to look in a wine press for some guy threshing wheat. God comes to that guy and says, mighty warrior, are you kidding me? He's hiding from the bullies. But see, God sees in us what we can become through his power. And he always calls that out. By the way, who was right about Gideon's future? Did he become a mighty warrior? Was Gideon right or God was right? God's always right. If you read the story, you'll see that God delivered, the Midianites, I, I don't remember, there's 100,000, 200,000 soldiers are surrounding the Israelites. And God pairs down all the way to 300 men. And then he gives them lanterns. And they walk and they surround the, the Midianite camp. So 300 around a couple of hundred thousand. When I say surround, you're not even going to see the other dude next to you, right? And they got lanterns. And they say, 
when it was time, they break open the lanterns and the lanterns shine a little brighter. And then they yell, for the Lord and for Gideon. And the Midianites start killing each other. They're standing there with a lantern. And all of a sudden, they're all dead. Did Gideon do that or did God? But Gideon following God, people started saying, he's our leader. Look at that mighty warrior who did what God called him to do. God said to Joshua right after Moses had died, he says this in, in Joshua 1, 6, in verse 6, be strong and what? Courageous. In verse 7, strong and what? Very courageous. And then verse 9, he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and what? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The promises of God do not say you're not going to have trouble. You will have trouble. Jesus Christ said you will have trouble in this world. But take heart, he's overcome the world, and he's with us in the midst of the trouble. But I don't want to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, welcome to the human race. None of us do. All of us walk through the valley. And God says, those who follow him and get out of the chair, he will go with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's how Paul said it. Now, by the way, you don't want to get in a spitting contest with Paul about how much your life sucks. How I've, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You don't want to do that with Paul. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8.35. Can anyone separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? He'd done all of those things. He'd faced them all. He said, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life. There was a time they thought he was dead. They actually threw rocks at him, stoned him until they thought he was dead and God raised him back up. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. He'd seen them both. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. God's going to take you through trouble. He's not going to keep you from trouble. And then look at number five. God lets us decide. He wants you to decide. But he will not wait forever. Be very careful. I, said, I shared this in Belize. Be very careful when you turn down the invitation of God because you never know when it's going to be the last invitation he gives you. You need to say yes to God. If you won't do it, he'll invite somebody else. If you value time in the lazy boy over a life with God, he'll let you make that choice. But the choice to do that comes with consequences because God is with those. He protects those. He provides for those. He goes before those, and he is the rear guard behind those. Let me explain this. Janie and I pray this all the time. We say, God, be our banner. In those days in the Old Testament that you would go out to war and you would raise up a banner in front of your army to say whose army it was. And the army of Israel, it wasn't the army of Israel. It was God. God is our refuge. God is our strength. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower, it says in, in Proverbs. The righteous run to it and are kept safe. So they held up this banner that said this is God's army. And then the angel of the Lord would, would go behind and, and be the rear guard. We pray this all the time. God, we prayed it before we flew to, to Belize. Maybe we should have prayed it before we went to Houston and maybe I'd still have a truck. But we prayed, God, go be our banner over our plane. We didn't pray it over the truck. We'll do that next time. Be the banner in front of our plane. Be our rear guard. Take us to, to Belize. Bring us back from Belize. God promises he is with those. He protects those, provides for those. He goes before as the banner. He is the rear guard for those who say yes, not to those who are in the lazy boy. What has God been putting on your heart? I've been to Haiti 10 times. One of those times I went, I was asked to come preach at, a, at an anniversary at Cote Plage. And at Cote Plage, um, it is the largest church in, in, that I know of in, in uh, Port-au-Prince. 
They have two services on Sunday morning. One is at 6 a.m. and 3,000 to 4,000 people come at 6 a.m. And they're packed everywhere and they're out in the streets and they have speakers out and there's a courtyard out here. And it's, it's crazy how many people come at 6 a.m. The 9.30 service is the, excuse me, is the late service and only about 500 come to that service. So I was asked to come preach from Sunday through Wednesday night and I go and I preach. And the theme of the, the week was from suffering to glory. That is not an easy thing to research and to come up with and pray, God, show me how to teach these people in Haiti to go from suffering to glory. I'm from the United States where we ha- I'm staying in a hotel with air conditioning. How am I going to teach these people to go from suffering to glory? Went and preached and, and God did some cool stuff and had a great response. Five weeks later, this was 2013, five weeks later, I was sitting back there and I get a phone call that my mom, my dad, and my sister were killed in a wreck. And people from Haiti, immediately when they heard that, they began to message me and they said, we thought God had sent you to teach us about from suffering to glory. God was preparing you for what you were about to enter into, this suffering of losing three of your family members in an instant. And I thought, wow. God didn't say I wasn't going to suffer. He said he would take me through. He prepared me for before it ever happened. There's something that God is putting on your heart that you need to say yes to. And if you do, here's the last thing. God will change you. If you say yes to God, your faith will grow. Your influence for the kingdom of God will grow. Your light will shine brighter. But you need to understand this. If you say yes to comfort, comfort will also change you. Your heart will grow harder. You will not be able to recognize the voice of God and you'll become addicted to this chair. And it's not what your heavenly father has called you to do. (laughs) How many of you have heard of Henrietta Mears? No one? Let me put her picture up, see if you recognize her. Yeah, Gary from the first service. Y'all don't, does this look like an Indiana Jones storm the gates of hell type person? No. She, see the glasses she's a hat wearing glasses wearing she was told she'd be blind by the time she was 30 half blind woman who changed the christian church in the united states in the early 20s she looks like a person like that doesn't she she's one of the first that i've ever heard of first children's ministers first she did it at a baptist church in the midwest and then at at hollywood presbyterian church in hollywood california under her ministry in the late 20s It went from 400 children in Sunday school to 4,000 kids in Sunday school. Nobody would ever heard of anything like that at that time. And she became frustrated because she couldn't find good Bible study materials. It was boring. Nobody's ever sat through boring Sunday school. No, no, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Sometimes it's the teacher. Not the curriculum, but we'll, we'll leave that there. So she began to write her own curriculum, and it was so good that other churches heard about it and asked her to begin sharing the curriculum. So in a friend's garage in the late 20s, she starts what becomes Gospel Light Publications, still exist to this day, still promoting Christian life, writing books. Unbelievable, 100 years later, this hat-wearing, middle-aged, half-blind woman started something that is still impacting lives. <laughs> She wanted a retreat area. And so she began looking. She found something in the, in the mountains of San Bernardino, outside uh, San Bernardino Mountains, outside of Hollywood, California. And it was $350,000, but that was in the middle of the Great Depression, so it may have been millions. I didn't stop her, though. 
she prayed, God, give me that mountain. She said, this would be a good thing. This would bless people. That give us the mountain. Then she got a group of people together, and she said, we need to pray. And she said, you have to dream big where God is involved. And they ended up getting that retreat center for 30000 bucks, and it became Forest Home Christian Center. It is still in existence today. She was voted by Christianity Today as one of the most influential Christians of the 20th century. Let me tell you why. Here's just some of the people who came through her ministry and impacted the world. One guy was named Dick Halverson. He would go on to become a pastor and then later the chaplain of the U.S. Senate from 81 to 94. You ever heard of a guy named Bill Bright? He began Campus Crusade for Christ, which has literally been all over the world, came through Forest Hill Christian Center. Have you heard of a guy named Ronald Reagan? Heard of a guy named Billy Graham? Here's what Billy said of her. Henrietta Mears was certainly one of the greatest Christians I've ever known. And he said, apart from his wife and his mom, she had the, she, no woman ever had a stronger impact on his life. And if you go to Forest Home Christian Center today, you can go find the lake over 60 years later where Billy Graham, after hours of prayer, after hours of talking to Henrietta Mears, Billy Graham fell down on his knees and he said to God, for the rest of my life, I will preach the Bible with simple faith. No one has produced as many leaders that have impacted the world for Christ as Henrietta Mears did. Ruth Bell Graham, Billy's daughter, said this. I think Miss Mears had the greatest capacity for loving people of almost anyone I know. Some of us talk about love. Miss Mears loved. No wonder God used her. When she was on her deathbed, last day of her life, she was asked, if you could do all your life over again, what would you do? What would you do differently? And here's what she said. I wish I'd trusted Christ for more. I wish I'd prayed riskier prayers. I wish I'd asked for bigger mountains. I wish I'd take, taken scarier risks. I wish I'd trusted God for more. She was born in 1890. She died in 1963. What she did not pray was, God, can I have just one more day to be comfortable? Can I just spend a little more time ignoring you and your kingdom and people that are around me who have needs? I've never heard anybody pray that prayer. So I've got a question for you today as we finish. What are you going to do with your dash? Will your dash impress God? Because when you die, when you fill in those last two blanks, or actually someone else fills it, you won't be filling it in. And you stand before God, you, will, you won't have anybody else to, to lean on. Will your dash, will your life impress God? That's the question that matters. Let's pray together. Father, raise us up to be a church that trusts you for more, that prays riskier prayers, that asks you for bigger mountains, that takes scarier risks so that your kingdom might be expanded. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.